So this is a special day for me as I get to slip my feet into the shoes of an ordained minister of word and sacrament. Today I get to administer the Lord's Supper. You know, I've been working on my master degree of divinity for five years, just waiting for this moment. So it's pretty exciting, and I feel honored to get to serve in this way. And since this is my first time to preside over the sacrament, I felt the need to dig in a little bit to this holy meal so that together we might better understand the significance and what it might mean for us as followers of Christ. As most of you know, in Presbyterian land, we celebrate two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, compared to our Catholic brothers and sisters who have seven sacraments. Preaching and presiding today is cool because I get to use my new chalice and patent that Pastor Mingy gave me, and you'll see it soon. And then over in the contemporary service, I get to use the set that my parents gave to me. And then nicely woven into all of this are the two gifts that you all from Church of the Palms gave me. This beautiful travel communion set and two commentaries on the book of Matthew by Dale Bruner with more commentaries coming. So thank you. Thank you all for that. I love what Bruner says about the sacraments. He says that the sacraments are deeply spiritual and deeply physical, just like Jesus was both divine and human. The sacraments are simply the physical extension and the spiritual proclamation of God's way of salvation through Jesus Christ. After telling us that he loves us from the pulpit, he touches us in love at the table. Brunner says the sacraments are God's hugs. Isn't that great? The sacraments are God's hugs. I like that. The Lord's Supper is also called Holy Communion, the place where together we meet Christ. It's called the Eucharist, which is Greek for Thanksgiving. The Holy Meal is the central event of the Last Supper, as told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John uses the foot washing as the central event of the Last Supper. So with my new commentary in hand, I chose Matthew 26 as our scripture passage for today. Let's hear the word of God. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread And after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words just read and the words to come help us to encounter you in a new way, O Lord. Amen. Well, I might have to sing along. The song, you know, be our guest, be our guest. That's the song, right? Be our guest. So 
That song seems like it would be a good place to begin because as we try to put on the happiest smile that we have and we demonstrate our welcome with arms wide open, we might be tempted to claim ownership of the Lord's table. Ah, be our guest. Even with the best of intentions, we would be sending the wrong message. In the scripture passage we just read in Matthew, we heard that Jesus is the one who took, blessed, broke, and gave the bread to the disciples. In the same manner with the cup, Jesus took, gave thanks, and then gave it to them. It is Jesus who initiates, Jesus who blesses, Jesus who breaks and gives his self-gift at the supper, not us. I think it's also helpful to know that the Lord's Supper is a sacrament and not a sacrifice. This might be part of why we call it a table and not an altar. Remember the sacrificial system that dominated the Bible where people brought their offerings like doves and lambs just to an altar for God? That is, until Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice for all people in all times. Jesus now invites us to a table for communion and remembrance, not to sacrifice him again and again. Martin Luther once explained that a sacrament descends from God to us. A sacrifice ascends from us to God. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament. This is important because it establishes between us the relationship that we have with us and God about who's giving and who's receiving. It establishes the etiquette of the table and the guest list. Think of the last dinner party that you had. You were the one in control. You determined the menu, the date, the time, who you were inviting, And even who would be sitting next to whom. You determined who was in and who was out. Well, for this supper, Jesus is the host. And from what I've read in the Bible, Jesus is not very picky about who he hangs out with or who he shares a meal with. Remember the prostitutes, the cheaters, the liars, those who were definitely not in the in crowd. In fact, just before Jesus invites the disciples to share this sacred supper, he tells them that one of them has betrayed him. The words of institution that are said at the beginning of communion come to us from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. Betrayal. This may be the worst offense of all. In the dictionary, betray is an eighth of an inch above the word betrothed. It's a world away from betrothed in meaning, though. Betrayal is a weapon found only in the hands of someone that you love. Your enemy has no such tool, for only a friend can betray. Think of a time when you were betrayed. You got it? I have mine. It's more than rejection. Rejection opens a wound. Betrayal pours in the salt. 
It's more than loneliness. Loneliness leaves you out in the cold. Betrayal closes the door. It's more than mockery. Mockery plunges the knife. Betrayal twists it. It's more than an insult. An insult attacks your pride. Betrayal breaks your heart. Paul notes that the context of the meal that Jesus instituted occurred on the night he was betrayed. This meal did not originate among human beings who are of one heart regarding Jesus and his gospel. Instead, Jesus fed his disciples knowing that he was doing so in the company of a betrayer, one who would ultimately cause his death. This fact places a permanent stamp on all earthly celebrations of the Lord's meal. It comes as a gift from God to sinful human beings always. So if you think you are unworthy to receive this gift, two things. You are right and you're in good company. Because if we weren't unworthy, we wouldn't need the forgiveness that Jesus promises to, to all of us. <clears throat> There are no fences around this table, no golden ticket, no perfect attendance, no perfect people required. We are all invited to this feast by the most loving, generous, and gracious host so that we might dine together as one body, one church. And I don't mean one church of the palms. I mean one church, universal, here and everywhere. To eat this particular meal together is to meet at the level of our most basic humanness, which involves both our need for food and for each other. And Jesus promises to join us at this table. And what does he offer? He offers us himself. The story is told of a man on an African safari deep in the jungle. The guide before him had a machete, and he's whacking away at the tall weeds and at the thick underbrush. The wearied and hot traveler asks in, for, in frustration, Where are we? Do you know where you're taking me? Where is the path? The seasoned guide stopped and looked back at the man and replied, I am the path. We ask the same questions, don't we? We ask God, where are you taking me? Where is the path? And he, like the guide, doesn't tell us. Oh, he might give us a hint every now and then, but he doesn't tell us. If he did, would we even understand? Probably not, because like the traveler, we are unacquainted with this jungle. So rather than give an answer, Jesus gives us a far greater gift. He gives us himself. Does he remove the jungle? Nope. The vegetation is still thick. Does he purge the predators? Nope. Danger still lurks. Jesus doesn't give hope and courage to carry on by changing the jungle of our lives. He restores our hope by giving us himself. He gives himself in the bread and the cup. He promises to meet us here, to nourish and strengthen us until he comes again. I think it might be important to note that when Jesus gives us himself in the bread and the cup, 
It is in a real way, but not in a cannibalistic way. Jesus gives us his body and blood sacramentally. The bread is Jesus' body by virtue of his promise. This is my body. The cup in the same way. This is my blood. But the bread remains bread. The juice remains juice. Jesus is especially present to us in the most ordinary things. Bread, juice, water, words. So we eat bread, even gluten-free bread, and we drink grape juice. And somehow we encounter the presence of the living Christ. How can this be? The only answer we have is that Jesus is good at miracles. And we know that God keeps God's promises. So we come to the table with faith that Jesus will do what Jesus promises to do. That is to show up. We trust that Jesus meets us here, that in some inexplicable way we are united with Christ as a community of faith. We believe that we are forgiven of all of our sins, that we are accepted just as we are, and that for a moment, for a moment, we are made whole. We come to the table in remembrance of him because that's what Jesus told us to do. The great theologian Frederick Beekner compares this to the fairy tale called The Happy Hypocrite. Once upon a time, there was a wicked man who wore the mask of a saint to woo and win the saintly girl he loved. Years later, when an old girlfriend of his discovered his trick, she challenged him to take off his mask in front of his beloved and to show his face for the sorry thing that it was. He did what he was told. He removed his mask only to discover his face had become the face of a saint. We all know the importance of rituals in our family life, how they shape and define us. Well, God has always put rites and ceremonies like the Passover, like the Lord's Supper, at the heart of saving deeds. God wanted his family to have special rituals to remember, to shape and define us too. With my study of Reformed worship and polity, I would be remiss if I didn't share a bit of the Presbyterian flavor of this meal. As you all know, Presbyterians like to do things decently and in order. From our directory of worship, we name two conditions for participation in communion. First is to be a baptized believer in Jesus Christ. You will notice that no one checks your records at the door. And second that we might prepare ourselves so that we don't take this meal in an unworthy manner. Well, what does this mean? We already know that we're all sinners and that we're unworthy of the gift of grace offered by Christ at this meal. But I think, I think this gets after the condition of our heart. Do we recognize our brokenness and our connection to all people? Are we sorry for all the wrongs that we think and do? Do we realize that we are not God and we cannot do this life on our own? So Jesus has invited us all to come to his table, all of us who are undeserving, all of us who have betrayed others, all of us hypocrites, all of us who have messed up, over and over again.
all of us who doubt. Just come. Come with your brokenness to receive the broken body of Christ. For when we share our brokenness, we begin to heal. Jesus invites us to come as we are, to receive forgiveness, acceptance, and wholeness. Jesus invites us to be his guest.